Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a brand new episode of our e-commerce podcast. And today I'm here with two amazing marketers, Jared and uh, Alexis. Jared is the e-commerce manager and Alexis is the sales and marketing manager, right? And uh, she's main focus is Amazon now. So we will discuss different things today. And the brand's name is uh, Sprecher Brewery. And this was the first craft brewery in uh, Milwaukee in the U.S. So this is, you know, this is not a new brand that was started yesterday. This has uh, decades of um, history, and we will talk about that, but also the challenges of how a brand like this, a, a beverage brand, a brewery brand, can uh, tackle with the difficult, you know, the challenges of, of the current marketing uh, marketing uh, and yeah, e-commerce uh, landscape. So I'm happy to have you here, Jared and Alexis. <clears throat> Where are you at the moment? It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, I'm located in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I work remote. And I'm also happy to be here and I am in Aspen, Colorado, and I also work remote, obviously, since the company's in Milwaukee. <laughs> Amazing. So. Actually, I was surprised when I, I heard that because I can see, you know, older companies, um, for example, my company, we have a client, they have a history of 150 years and everyone is in the same office every day. <laughs> and, that, and I think that's the usual setup, right? Especially with older companies. So I wonder, was it a mindset shift during COVID or, or it's not a new thing in this company? What happened? Well, so for me personally, um, I came on at Sprecher about a little over a year ago, um, so I'm relatively new to the team, but I had already been working remotely and worked for a company out of the East Coast and had just moved to Colorado. And yes, during that time, they had allowed me to work remotely. So when I came aboard, I um, just kind of had the stipulation of that if I were going to continue working uh, or work for Sprecher that I would be working remotely and they were okay with that. Jared has a bit of a different story. <laughs> yeah, my journey with Sprecher has been kind of interesting. I actually started as a brewery tour guide during the pandemic, uh, which was a very interesting time to be a brewery tour guide. <laughs> um, but uh, I started working in the office after a year or two and there definitely was a mindset set mindset shift during that time, um, allowing more people to work remotely. Um, and I think it's been pretty good for the company. It's allowed people a lot of flexibility that they like. And I found that our CEO is very results driven. And as long as you're doing your job right and hitting your numbers, then um, it doesn't really matter where you are in the world. Yeah. And I think the fact that we have sales, a sales team, too, that is always inherently going to be remote um, just because that's their job. That's the nature of their job. Right. Yeah. 
it does allow then also for a little bit of like more leniency because there's an understanding to Jared's point that as long as you're hitting your sales goals, we're, you know, that's really the most important thing at the end of the day. Yeah, I really like this way of thinking that you have the KPIs to achieve and that's that, that that's what matters, right? I mean, uh, I try to run my company in the same way. It doesn't matter where you are from or how old you are or anything. If you can achieve those KPIs, and that's the main thing. So I think uh, smart business owners, they should, you know, uh, manage their business in this way. And smart managers and, and yeah, everyone. Um, let's talk about the history of the business. So maybe I can ask the... The guide, Jared. (laughs) I've given the speech a lot of times, yeah. And it is a very interesting history. So our founder was a man, Randy Sprecher, um, who got into the craft brewing business through an army deployment. Uh, He wanted to be a pilot in Vietnam, but they found out that he was colorblind um, and he couldn't do that. And they ended up putting him on assignment in Augsburg, Germany. Uh, So he spent some time there with the army and he got really into drinking the local craft beer. When he came back to the United States and started drinking the big brand beers here, he just didn't like it very much. Uh, And he started making his own. Uh, He studied fermentation science at UC Berkeley. It was a very new program at the time um, and was doing some really groundbreaking stuff. Uh, He tried to start a brewery in California, a craft brewery there, but they didn't have the state law framework to allow for that. Uh, So he looked over to Milwaukee, where brewing has always been a really core part of the city's culture and thought, well, this is perfect. So he packed up a VW van. He moved to Milwaukee. Uh, He bought an abandoned tannery down by the river and turned it into a brewery with himself and his friends, just doing all the work um, and founded the company in 1985. So yeah, it's the first craft brewery in Milwaukee since Prohibition. Um, And I won't talk about this for too much longer. I'm sure you have a big (laughs) time but this speech is really drilled into me now. Um, The the other interesting thing about our company, and it pertains to our e-commerce business, is that we make craft soda as kind of our primary product these days, at least our primary product nationally. Um, and that got started uh, back in the 80s as well. Um, Randy would make it at home for his daughter, Keisha. He'd make root beer at home for his daughter, Keisha, who's now the VP of our company. Um, And she really liked it. Um, When he opened the brewery, he started giving out the root beer on tours. Um, And people liked it so much that started selling it and it became a big product over time. And I think the reason for that is the craft brewing principles he applied to it. He made our root beer the same way he makes a beer. Uh, Fire brewing it, uh, using raw honey, pure raw honey to sweeten it. Um, and that process just shines through in the product. Good job. I'm first now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to send you some. So, um, when did you start the e-commerce operations? How early you adopted uh, e-commerce? Because 
as I said, you know, uh, you know the, these older businesses, more traditional businesses, I think uh, it's not just about, you know, they have an office and all of that, but many of them, they are not good at e-commerce or maybe they, they haven't even realized that this is an opportunity. Unfortunately, we still have those brands. So when did you start the e-commerce operations? So this is fascinating to me. It's before both my time and Lexi's time. Um, Sprecher was a very early adapter of e-commerce. Um, I was talking with our IT guy a few months ago because he was cleaning up an old server and he found a backup of our website that I think was from 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, so I took a look at it and just saw what it looked like. It was very web 1.0. And even back then we were still doing some e-commerce and selling soda through the mail. So wow. uh, we've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And uh, what e-commerce platform do you use at the moment? Shopify. Yeah. So Shopify is okay with brewery and alcohol because I know there are regulated industries, but this is not one of them, right? Shopify. We do. So we are not actually allowed to sell our alcohol online, um, but that is more about a Wisconsin law more so than it is about Shopify and such. Yeah. Um, Wisconsin, because it has been historically a brewer's town, mm -hmm. um, just has very strict regulations on selling the product outside of the state. Okay, I see. And in how many states do you sell the products? So with Shopify, we sell it all over the United States. Okay. We do have retail locations as well. Um, I think that we are currently in 44 states, I believe, um, distribution mm -hmm. that will be growing significantly. We've just taken on like CVS um, as a customer and are going into 3,200 stores and such. So um, you can find us most likely anywhere, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. So let's talk about marketing. Uh... And I will start with Jared. So tell us more about the e-commerce operation. So your your uh, main role is to take care of shop, the Shopify store, right? The Shopify yeah. part of the e-commerce. Um, so when, yeah, when did you take it over and uh, how did you get started? What's your current focus when it comes to e-commerce? Yeah, so when I got started, um, we were actually using WordPress. Um, mm -hmm. And so for probably my first year, year and a half working at Sprecher, I was learning WordPress and sort of hitting a bunch of different walls with it because I think it's a great platform for having a personal website or a blog, but it's just not well suited to e-commerce uh, in the same way that Shopify is being an e-commerce first platform. Uh, so. I sort of got my manager behind the product project of switching us to Shopify. Um, and the company brought on a really great team of people to help with that. Um, and yeah, I'd say over the course of about a year, we had to troubleshoot a bunch of different integrations with our accounting system and things like that. But we got Shopify um, and that happened in June of last year that we got it. So in a way, it's very new for us. And we've yeah. just been um, exploring all of the different new avenues that it's opened up for our business. So just a bit more than one year now, actually. Yeah. 
14 months. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. What uh, what are the best integrations and tools that works with Shopify? If you should mention three, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, my top three, Clavio uh, is absolutely indispensable. <laughs> um, definitely get most of our... Um, a good portion of our sales just from direct email. Um, recharge subscriptions has been really great for us. We get a good proportion of our sales from subscriptions and it's just a really seamless way to do it. And then for me, at least gorgeous as a customer service ticketing system has helped us so much and um, customer retention and customer experience. I don't know yeah. if you have anything to add to that, Lexi. No, I actually literally wrote down those three. So you nailed it. Um, I agree. Clavio is by far and away just like one of the best platforms, uh, their integrations, just their constant growing, what they're doing there. We were just talking about even their academy, like they are wonderful. And then, yeah, Gorgeous has become so good with, with their integration. Also with Shopify, just to Jared's point, like you can learn so much about your customers, right? So it just... It, makes it so nice for you to be able to retain them and then yes recharge subscriptions are obviously one of the best things in the today in e-commerce right yeah. just who doesn't like a little bit of passive income <laughs> yeah actually you didn't surprise me because these three these are these three they are all household names today in the shopify ecosystem so yeah i, I don't think i have to explain too much here <laughs> and uh I'm happy to hear that you have recharge and subscription because many brands, they don't have it. And I, I always try to push them to start doing subscriptions because that's huge, especially when you sell beverages or, or you know, items and yeah, just products that uh, people consume and they need it every month, every second month, skincare products, beauty products, baby products. So all of these. Um, how how is it set up in your business the subscription plan? Um, so we offer a couple different kinds: uh, one month, two month, and three month subscriptions. Uh, we've gotten demand for all of those, and then we also have a couple prepaid gifts where for three months or six months you pay up front, and you can send somebody a six pack of craft mm -hmm. soda for that time period on a monthly basis. Yeah, actually, gifting is a great revenue source as well. It's undervalued, I think. So, so Alexis, uh, tell us more about the Amazon side of the business. Hey, Budai Nation. Welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. And if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic. So it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. Yeah, so the Amazon side of the business is actually even more new relatively than... Um, mm -hmm the Shopify. So when I came on, Jared had just finished moving everything over to Shopify and they were doing such a great job there. And I noticed that really that nobody had kind of touched Amazon. So it was kind of like a redheaded stepchild. Um, and luckily from my history, I, you know, had worked at managed Amazon for another company, Reed's Ginger Beer. And so just knew that there were simple things that we could do to really elevate and push our sales 
that really didn't have to be anything, spending a ton of money or anything along those lines. So I just started basically by just going in and changing our A-plus content, updating descriptions, um, you know, making sure pricing was on point, adding some of our items that just weren't on there that whether it was because they were new, like cans or just we just hadn't done it like our extracts um so i added a bunch of those and we increased sales within the first month by you know like five times it was wild because oh. our organic ranking went up you know now when people were typing in keywords such as craft soda or whatever that was actually pulling our products up so we have increased i think 300 percent since last year or something like that just using those tactics um which is phenomenal we have tons more to grow we're still working on improving all of that a plus content adding videos because i know that that is a huge um converter as well and so it's been really wonderful we are fulfilled but we fulfill ourselves we're fulfilled by merchant which is new to me i had historically done fulfilled by amazon it's a whole new world uh, it's very nice we have much more control over our stuff um so yeah it's going really really well and right now just focus on getting more reviews and more content on these sites and creating the store so yeah, yeah that's amazing so when did you start amazon what did you say so really started focusing on it last fall about i would say yeah. uh, around november so not okay. much we, it just hadn't been something that you know, they had been working on Shopify for so long that I think it was something that they just weren't paying attention to. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of brands and sometimes are hesitant with Amazon. Everybody knows yeah. that Amazon yeah. is the place to be, but at the same time, you don't make a ton of margin on Amazon, especially with beverages, especially with glass beverages. Um, and so, you know, it was something that they weren't focused on because of the profitability of it. But the realization that awareness is such a big part of Amazon, right? Yeah. It is one of the first places people go to search a product. It is like a Google for, you know, CPG, right? Um, it's where they're going to go to try it for the first time as well. So looking at Amazon in that manner, right? Uh, I might not make a lot of money off of it, but I'm sure going to get a lot of eyes on my product. And if they try it once there and then come to our Shopify site from then on, great, you know? Yeah, I think that's that's a good way of thinking um, because it's a very, it's a controversial topic in, in retail, I believe, because when I talk to brand owners, they, they either say that, yes, we are on Amazon. Uh, some of them, they focus on Amazon more than on their Shopify store. Um, that's the minority, I think. But yeah. many of them, they are on both and they think in the same way that Amazon is more about awareness and Shopify is more about building, you know, more retention and returning customers and customer data. And uh, there are those guys who they, they are reluctant. They don't want to go to Amazon uh, yeah. they, because they want to own everything. And they, even if they, uh, you know, grow slower and stay smaller, they prefer that. So, yeah, you know, I think that's yeah. a problem with, or not a problem. I understand that feeling about Amazon because mm -hmm. there is so much lack of control, really, even when you're fulfilled by merchant, right? I'm not, even though I create the content, I create the page, I make it look beautiful, somebody else can be selling on my page. Then my consumer buys it from that person, 
it's not the right product or whatever it is, you know, then they come to me as the brand. But unfortunately, I can't do anything for them in that position. And Amazon isn't always the best at holding those sellers accountable. Um, And so that is, I understand that can be very difficult. And we are not in the business of telling those people or those other sellers um, what to do. A lot of companies will, they'll say, you know, here's our map policy, don't sell below us, you know, your page has to look like this. We can't do that. Our distributors, um, because it affects retail so much, uh, we can't just say to them, well, not Amazon, but we are a distributor focused, you know, that's mm-hmm. how we do business um, yeah. for our retailers. And so when a distributor buys our product for us at wholesale, and then we want to turn around and say to them, okay, now you have to tell everybody that they have to do this. Well, they're not very interested in that, right? Because that prevents them from being able to sell to those people, to those third-party sellers. Um, and so that is something that I'm personally always kind of going back and forth with the sales team on because while I understand you don't want to affect the distributors who are then getting us into retail chains, we also don't want people always constantly undercutting us. Um, So it's a fine line. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Going back to customer retention, because our listeners, they know that that's the focus of my company. And uh, yeah, that's a big topic and, and still underrated topic, I believe. But I know that uh, beverage brands and, and brewery, these products, they have probably the highest returning customer rate and, and coffee brands. That's what I can see. So more than any other niches, fashion or food or baby products, those have high retention as well, but probably beverages. I, I know Deathwish Coffee, they have more than 80% ret- returning customer rate, which is crazy. And I wonder, uh, you can see an improvement in, uh, you know, compared to the past uh, by going to these channels, Shopify, Amazon and and retail and all of that. Does it improve the retention rate or or not really? Well, I don't know if it improves the retention rate, if Amazon does necessarily. Um, I think, and Jared could speak more to this on the Shopify end. I guess I think that the Amazon purchaser is probably a much different person than our Shopify person, just because one of the things that we deal with is the that historically Sprecher has been a very local brand, very yeah. local to Wisconsin and not just Wisconsin, even Illinois and, you know, kind of that tri-state area, whereas Amazon's opening us up to a much more national platform. And so figuring out how those consumers act differently is something that we are trying to work on constantly and we're having an internal conversation how do we address both local and national segments so um and jared maybe you can speak more to that but that would be one thing that i think is the difference between those consumers yeah no i think you took the words right out of my mouth we do kind of have this segment of local consumers who have moved either because they've retired or they've moved for work or whatever the case may be they can't find sprecher in a store near them so they start buying it through our website and those people are incredibly loyal customers Um, and then there are people who um, were just rolling it out to their state and advertising it there and it's not in retailers yet and then they'll buy it on the store or on the online store for a bit but 
um, then it'll show up in their local store um, and they'll stop buying it online. And um, so, yeah, it's hard to get a clear picture of our customer retention because of that, um, yeah. not just because of our strong local audience, but also because so many people, when they leave our site, we don't know if they're leaving us because uh, they're done with the brand. Lots of times they're leaving because they're just converting to brick and mortar retail customers. Hmm. That's interesting. And it's very hard to track it, even impossible, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. yes. If you don't know their name, yeah. then it's hard. And you but I always say, nobody walks into a grocery store and says, oh, hey, so-and-so, I saw your ad online, right? And yeah. like, yeah. then that information isn't coming back to us by any yeah. means. <laughs> yeah. No, the only way I find out about it is because I'll assign our gorgeous tickets and read through those. And sometimes people will say, well, your online store is so expensive and I found it much cheaper at Walmart. And I always say, great. We love it when our customers save money. That's fantastic. Um, and that's how I hear that this does happen. But can't yeah. track it any other way. Yesterday, I just had a short call with a uh, support agent from a... This was a uh, footwear brand in the US. And I told them that I could see your ad on my Instagram feed. That's why I'm, I got here in the end. And I could see, because it was a video call, a short one. And, but the guy started uh, taking notes. I could see, like, <laughs> Instagram ad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, well, because I was going to say, you know, maybe it's about us. Maybe this is something that we could do, which is just emailing those people that have left and say, why did you leave to figure that out, right? Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. always trying to learn more and more information about the customer. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, that's something that we do with our clients a lot, that we send the survey and we ask four or five questions, not more. And we also give them some price, price, how yeah. on. And yeah. recently I started doing it in my agency as well, and I got a lot of feedback. And uh, I was surprised how great feedback I got. So <laughs> it's a two-way conversation when they can, you know, fill out the survey. People like that. So... Yeah, that's something to try, I think. I think that's a great idea. Um, and going back to how great Clavio is, we already have the sunset workflow set up that does mm -hmm. pretty well. So I think throwing the survey on be a piece of cake. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about Clavio for a minute. So how do you see the role of email marketing and what, what, what works for you there and what doesn't work? Well, so um, I actually, it's kind of perfect. I've been in a Clavio webinar actually most of the week. Okay. Um, and they've been kind of just discussing all of this really, uh, customer retention, acquisition, um, and le leading up to Black Friday really is kind of what the webinar is about. But one of the things that they were saying is that like 30% of your revenue should come from email marketing, okay. um, which I find very interesting. I think that in Jared, you would know better than I do. I think that a large percentage of our revenue on Shopify does actually come from that, which is wonderful. And I, you know, that's a combination of the flows that we have that are always going. Um, I know our win back, or I mean, our welcome one does really awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I was just looking at that today, but our campaigns are also very 
big for us personally. Um, I think flows are something we can work on, but our campaigns drive a lot of our revenue. Uh, we try to do, you know, at least I, we're uh, we're on the higher end. We do at least like four, maybe five um, emails campaigns yeah. a week. And we do see a lot of revenue driven from those. So whether that be um, a recipe or a new product launch, um, sales, we have been doing more giveaways and partnerships in that sense. And those have been really significantly beneficial to us. So um, Enclavio, I think, is so user-friendly and they're so good at providing education for you um and they themselves are constantly changing you know i think they were just talking about they're rolling out a new um customer basically like data platform essentially right now um that's just going to increase even more of the analytics and your ability to understand the customers so um i see that email is huge right again 30 percent of your revenue that's a huge section i do think though that sms is growing as well and something that people um should start looking into more so and how to use that in a different way than people are using email yeah 100 percent, and especially in the us it's huge now sms it, it has its renaissance now yep and uh the roi is even better than with email marketing it's not as scalable because you don't want to send out five emails a week, uh, sorry, five uh, text messages a week. That would be too many. I think with email, it's fine. Um, I wonder uh, what's your approach in the welcome flow? Because, uh, yeah, so so for a brewery, it's interesting. You, you try to sell relatively quickly or you educate them about the brand. You tell the story. What's the approach that you use there? There's a little bit of a mix of that, I'd say. Um, I think a lot of our campaigns are more focused on selling, um, mm -hmm. but we have workflows that are educational. Mm -hmm. So in my spare time, I've been writing a lot of blog posts that do deep dives on our different products um, because our company does have this rich history and I'm into storytelling. And um, I just throw those into workflows for people who have viewed those products or bought those mm -hmm. products. Um, and that consumer education uh, aspect has definitely been a part of our efforts too. Yeah, I think you can really use the story of the brand because today you started a podcast with that. And I think that's very engaging. People like hearing these stories. Sounds like a very original one. So um, it can definitely you know, make a difference. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the people nowadays more so than ever too really want to like identify with the brand, right? They want to feel like that brand has the same values as them. And, yeah, yeah. you know, we're really looking at these relationships with products in a much different way than we have in the past. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that story Jared told, which was awesome, um, really does allow you to be like oh wow right there's history to this there's heart to it and yeah. there's people behind this and that makes i think customers want to stay with you when you show them who you really are yeah yeah, yeah. i agree um my last question it's a bit specific but you know when you sell uh, drinks i think that's that's crucial so the pricing of the products, how does it compare to other other uh, similar products? Is it um, 
you know, lower price or, or similar price, it's not to differentiate or, it, or it's more uh, higher priced. What's, what's the approach there? So our price, I think, is pretty typical for selling craft beverages online. Um, sometimes we get a bit of pushback from consumers um, because of the price point. Um, but what we really try to emphasize with our marketing and storytelling is that what we do have is really kind of a special premium product. I mean, all those points I hit before, it's fire brewed in small batches. It uses premium ingredients like pure honey. Um, and so we justify our pricing with the process. And I think that yeah. does work for people. Yeah, yeah. We're always going to be in competition, right, with a even like a Zevia or a Coca-Cola, because those are always going to inherently exist and they're going to be able to have a better price point than us. But as Jared said, setting ourselves apart as a premium handcrafted beverage is what justifies that price. And some people are going to always want it to be cheaper. And so we'll have, you know, we have sales and, yeah. you know, they can grab it then. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's the nature of, being a little bit higher end of a beverage. Yeah, makes sense. And uh, I mean, crafted beer is just so much better. <laughs> That's my experience. I haven't tried yours, but yeah, we, we have great ones in Europe as well. Um, thank you, Alexis and Jared, for uh, coming here today and sharing the story of uh, Spracker and also what you do in the company, how you think about uh, all of these topics that we discussed. And thanks everyone who watched the live stream or listened to the podcast. And in the description, I will put the link of the company. So you can go to the website, you can subscribe and get these products every month. And um, I will put another link into the description, which is from my agency. So we collected our top 100 email templates. Uh, we sent out more than uh, 500 million emails up to date and we collected the top 100 and uh, it's completely free so check out that link as well and you can download it so thanks again everyone and uh, i wish you a great day thank you thank you